Tonight we're in Psalm 119, verses 145 to 160. I want to begin um, just by laying some foundational things for us as we get started. My hope in selecting Psalm 119 for the study um, was to allow us to have a concentrated focus uh, over these 10 weeks on the necessity, the value uh, of the Word of God for us in our lives. Um, you know, sometimes I think we can downplay the significance that God's Word should play in our lives. Sometimes we can be guilty, even as followers of Christ, of having multiple copies of God's Word in our possession with us and failing to actually open it, read it, study it, and seek to live it out. Uh, when I went home today, uh, just briefly from the office this afternoon, <clears throat> on my front doorstep was an Amazon package. And I had no idea what it was because I didn't order anything from Amazon. And so I saw the package. I wasn't really excited about it. I didn't really care what was in it because I didn't order anything. But I saw it, brought it in the house, left it on the the like doorstep there, didn't open it, didn't even care to open it because I didn't order anything. I'm thinking, I don't know what that is. My wife gets home, and I said, hey, there was a package delivered on it. When she got so excited, it was something for my daughter's birthday that's coming up. She knew exactly what it was. She was waiting for that to come, and when she found out that that package was delivered, she lit up, she was excited because it was something for my daughter that she was excited to get to be able to have for her birthday. Um, and so she just couldn't wait you know, to grab that package and remove it from my daughter's sight and take it upstairs. Why was her reaction so much different than mine? Because I didn't know what was in it. I didn't care what was in it. I didn't order it. I didn't want it. And so therefore, it just sat there. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, knew what was in it, was looking for it, wanted it, and when it came, she was excited to grab that thing. Well, in many ways, I think we fall into one of two categories when it comes to our viewpoint of God's Word. Um, we either aren't recognizing what it is, why we need it, and the value it should have in our lives, and so therefore it just sits there. Therefore it just sits, and we can walk by it every day. We can see God's Word every day, see our Bible sitting there. We can hear the Bible being taught, and we can think, I don't really care. Because it's not something that we think at that point in time we need, we want, we desire, or we're just choosing not to recognize the truth that it is. Uh, when we truly value God's word, when we truly understand this is not just words from men, this is not just uh, a suggestion manual, this is not just another book, but it is the eternal word of God, hopefully our, our opinion, our desire for it, our perspective changes. And so Psalm 119, I think, has been a great refresher for that. I know it has been for me. I hope it's been for you. So Psalm 119, we'll look at verses 145 to 160 tonight. Uh, two sections. Uh, you'll notice again those headings in your Bible where it gives these words that you might be like, what in the world are those words um, and what do they mean? Um, those are letters of the Hebrew alphabet. That's how this psalm is broken up into the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in the different sections that are there. And so we're reading through two sections tonight, beginning with verse 145. The psalmist writes, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help, I hope, in your words. 
My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Now, you'll remember at the beginning of the series, we talked about the different words that are used throughout Psalm 119 uh, as interchangeable for the psalmist's understanding of God's word. Um, in that there were over 170 references in 176 verses to the word of God. And so you'll notice those words of your testimonies, your precepts, your laws, your rules, all speaking of God's word and the value that that plays for the writer here as he talks and recounts different situations and things that happened in his life and how God's word served uh, him so well throughout his life. So tonight I just want to look at really make three points and then have some questions for us to look at together from, from the psalm tonight in Psalm 119, 145 to 160. Uh, so the first one is this, God's word is truth and it is eternal. Would you say that with me? God's word is truth and it is eternal. Um, that's foundational. Uh, that's foundational. That's not a new statement. You've heard that statement. If you've been part of our church for any amount of time or you've come on Thursday nights, you've probably heard this statement uh, many, many times. God's word is truth and it is eternal. We're reminded in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What that means is that the origin of Scripture is from God. It's breathed out by God. And Paul says to Timothy, it is therefore profitable for us in all different ways. And so it's important for us to have this understanding and perspective. But look at what he says right at the back, Psalm 140, or 119, verse 145. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I want you to process just those two verses of this section for a minute. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. He's recounting a time in his life when he was really enduring hardship, when he was really in need. He says, I'm crying out to you, God, with my whole heart. Heart And just a little bit when we talk about some discussion questions, I'm going to ask the question, when was the last time that you cried out to God with your whole heart? Whatever it was that you were experiencing in your life, whatever it was that you were trying to walk through, that it was just all consuming, that you're pouring out with your whole heart to God with whatever it was that you were enduring or going through. And the psalmist says, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. But look at what he says. Answer me, and then what? 
I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, answer me. I will keep your statutes. I I will be obedient to your word. I call to you, save me. Why? That I may observe your testimonies. This is incredibly interesting to me because I thought in the midst of a very difficult hardship, whatever it was that he was enduring or walking through, where he is at a position of crying out to God with his whole heart, his desire still in the midst of that is that God would answer, that God would save him. Why? So that he might be obedient to his word, so that he might continue to be obedient, continue to keep God's word, to follow the word of God. And it was just a reminder for me, and we're going to see this in a minute later on in this this section of the psalm. The psalmist understood and knew God's word is truth, and it is eternal. His perspective was unchanging. His motivation was was unchanging because he knew what it was that he was being obedient to and following. It made me think of this as a guy who likes sports. I I was thinking about those of you that maybe had a chance to watch Michael Jordan play when he was playing basketball. I remember when I was younger watching the game where it was called the the flu game. How many of you know what I'm referencing when I say the flu game? It was a a game where Michael Jordan looked like he should never have been on the court. Because he was sick. And I, I think in the documentary, it talked about food poisoning, maybe even what, what that was, if I remember correctly. But he didn't even look like he should be out on the court. And he just had an incredible, like, gutsy performance that, that he, he did. That. And, and they talk about it, and it was his drive to win. It was his drive for that championship. It was his drive for that, that prize that he just left everything, like, all that he had, all of his energy, all of his strength, all that he could muster up. He just laid it all out there. It was incredible. I mean, here we are. I, I, it might have been 30 years ago. I don't remember how long ago it was that it's still being talked about, and it's just known in the sports world as the flu game. That's what it's known as because of the gutsy performance that was there when he was just completely, you know, not in a position of being himself. He was, in a, he was up against it. And for some reason that came to my mind. I was thinking about that and thought if someone can dedicate themselves to a sporting event, a a game with that kind of drive, with that kind of focus, with that kind of commitment and dedication in spite of extreme hardship that would have prevented anybody else that didn't have that same drive from even stepping. People aren't stepping on the court if they got like a sniffle, if they got like, you know, a a toe that's been, you know, know, injured, whatever it may be. There's all kinds of reasons people aren't, but even in games like that, and here he is putting everything out there because of the drive that was there to win. What kind of drive and motivation should be present for you and I when it comes to our obedience to the eternal truth from God. And yet, man, aren't we guilty sometimes of when the slightest opposition or hardship might come our way to being obedient to God's word, that we're okay with taking a break that day? Isn't that true when it comes to our obedience to sharing the gospel? Isn't it true when it comes to our obedience to not being ashamed of the name of Christ. I had a conversation recently with one of my daughters, and it was a brief conversation that I had, the longer conversation with my wife. But one of my daughters was just upset talking to my wife, and I was like, what's going on? And 
and she was just really upset because she said that she was really convicted because there are times that she feels ashamed to like to speak up and tell people that she's a follower of Jesus. And she was just feeling really convicted about that. Now, I wanted to tell her, I'm like, honey, like, you're doing well. Like, you speak up. I wanted to encourage her, but at the same time, didn't want to discourage if God's convicting her of times where she needs to speak up more, that she would speak up more and that she wouldn't be ashamed. But I was able to share with her, hey, listen, like, you're not the only one. That far too often as believers, we fit that category, don't we, of feeling ashamed depending on the circumstance, depending on the crowd that's around us of speaking up about the name of Christ. And here's what was interesting to me as he talks about keeping God's statutes and observing his testimonies. Only with the perspective that the keeping of these testimonies and these statutes, that the testimonies and statutes, the word that he's seeking to be obedient to and keep, if he did not truly believe that that word is eternal and from God, There's no way there's a drive to keep that in the midst of the hardships he would be experiencing. And so for you and I as believers, as men today, think of the words that the Apostle Paul talked about when he said, run the race with perseverance. Run the race with perseverance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? That's the desire that should be true in each one of our lives. And when we start with the foundation that the word of God is truth and it is eternal. It changes things for us because we know what it is that we have sitting at our doorstep, if you will, every single day that we can unwrap, open up, and know what we're, we're, we're reading and that's contained in this book. And the psalmist knew that. He understood that. I, I love as the, the passage goes on, look at verses 151 and 152. Um, he says, but you are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. This is his confession about his understanding of God's word. He says, uh, long have I known your testimonies that you have founded them forever. All your commandments are true. That's an incredible statement. I mean, it's a, that's an incredible confession right there. That he's making this statement, you are near, O Lord, in the midst of hardship, God, you're near. In the midst of uncertainties, you're near. In the midst of things that are happening in my life where I am pouring out to God my whole heart, I have confidence to know you are near, O Lord. Isn't that a great promise? That God is near to the brokenhearted, that God does not despise or turn away from the one that is crushed in spirit, the word of God tells us. And all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Do you understand the perspective that's here from the psalmist? God, your word is true entirely. And your word is eternal. You have founded them forever. I mean, that's... That statement cannot be said of any other document, book, writing. Only God's word is that that true of. It's incredible. And here it is. Like, we got it. To be able to study, to be able to read, to be able to be impacted by. And, and it's something I think that sometimes we can be guilty of taking for granted. In, in, in verse 160, if you look at the second section tonight, in verse 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I love that statement because this is what he says. It's, it's all true. 
The sum of it is true. You look at the word of God and you can be like, this book is a book of truth. It's eternal. But here's what I love about what he says. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So not just the whole, but the parts, and not just parts of it, but all of it. Have you ever read a book, and when you read it, you were going to recommend it to someone, and when you pass it on to them to recommend it, you said, hey, you should read this book. It's really good. Now, there are a couple things in there that I wouldn't recommend. Like, have you ever done that? Or, like, have you ever recommended a restaurant, and you're like, hey, you should go to such and such restaurant, but if you go, don't get this. Like, you tell them what not to get, because you don't want to give it with an unbridled, like, uh, suggestion, right? You, you have it a little bit, like, pulled back because you don't want people to be disappointed. And so if you're going to recommend something, you're going to tell them. But if there's something they should avoid, there's very few places, books, restaurants that we could recommend to someone where it's just an unbridled, yeah, anything on the menu is good. Everything in here is great. You should read. I mean, normally there's some checks. This is what the psalmist says in this verse. That is not true of God's word. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The totality of what we read in Scripture is truth. It's truth. Uh, We had someone, my wife and I, not that long ago, for our anniversary, went to a, um, a dinner that's kind of a dinner show. You've probably heard of Medieval Times. How many of you have ever heard of that? Medieval Times. We went down uh, to Florida, and we were down there just for a couple days for our anniversary back in the summer. And so we went to Medieval Times for a dinner, like, show. If you know what that is, it's like jousting with, like, knights, and they do a whole performance. And, and so we read all kinds of reviews about, about it. And we had never been to it, so we were, we were both, like, kind of excited to go and thought it would be fun to do. And so we went and didn't know what to expect because the reviews were so, they were all over the place, which sometimes if you just want to laugh, read reviews of like different dinner shows and things like that because there's some witty people that leave reviews. There's also some bad ones, so don't trust all of them. You see how I did that? You can't give a full recommendation. There's always some things. But when we read in the recommendations, we went in kind of not knowing what to expect. And so they do like a, I don't know, it's a several course meal. They bring out like a soup first that they give to you, and I think it was like a tomato, like a tomato basil soup of some sort, and they bring out like garlic bread with it, and then they bring out after that um, your meal, which was like chicken and corn on the cob and something else, and then after they bring out the meal for you, they bring out a dessert for you to eat, and they have the show going on while all this is happening, and so while we were there, like every single thing that came out, I would lean over to my wife and be like, do you like the soup? you think the soup's good? And she'd be like, oh, yeah, it's really good. And they'd bring out the bread. and like, hey, how's the bread? And want to find out about that. And this is partially because I was reading reviews, like what everybody's opinions were. And so I was like trying to get the same opinion from my wife. And then they bring out the meal, and I'm like, how was the chicken? Was the chicken good? Was it too dry? And you like the corn? The corn was pretty good, wasn't it? And then the show, and we're like, hey, the show's great, isn't it? You like a? And then when they bring out the dessert, I'm like, ah, the dessert was all right. But like I'm asking like every single thing, like how is it? 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 Like, and, and there were certain things like, oh, man, the chicken was great, but the soup, not so much. And, yeah, the dessert was pretty good, but the show was great. And and we give, like, this kind of, like, reaction to every single thing because not all of it was fantastic, but some of it was. And so if I recommend it to someone, this is what I would say to them. I'd be like, hey, it's an interesting thing. If you've ever been there, you'll probably enjoy it. Uh, The meal was pretty good. Not the best, but it was pretty good. But it was worth it because the show was great. And so you'll like it if you like that type of thing, but you might not. 
right? And so it's not helpful because, because depending on what you want, it's not what you want, it's not what you need, it's not what you would enjoy. And, and we could talk about so many things that would fit that category as we try to make recommendations to people. Guys, listen, do you realize that the psalmist is saying here about the word of God? You can take this book and you can go to anyone walking the face of the earth and with confidence tell them every word of God is profitable and true. It is eternal. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. This is an unbridled, without reservation, recommendation of the word of God. Of the testimonies, statutes, commands, and promises of God. You know how rare that is? And for many of us, there it sits. There it sits. And man, like some of us can't wait to get home and turn on the news and find out what people are recommending about X, Y, and Z. We can't wait to get informed about what we're supposed to do about whatever's happening in the world from people who don't even have answers. And there it sits, right? And I read it and I think, man, I'm, it's greatly convicting about the psalmist's perspective and what he's sharing about the word of God here in the midst of a time where he has to cry out to God with his whole heart because of his adversaries, because of the troubles that he's enduring, that he has to call out to God, save me. Verse 147, he says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I don't know what exactly was going on in his life, but do you get the picture here? And where's he turning? Where's his confidence lie? Where's he finding comfort and peace? It's in the Lord and in his word. Number two, hardship and persecution magnify the necessity and productivity of God's word. I think it would be accurate as we read these two sections to say that the psalmist in particular at this point in his life. Again, a lot of people believe Psalm 119 was penned by David under the inspiration, obviously, of the Holy Spirit, but they believe that David wrote Psalm 119 over the course of his life. I don't know if it's true that it was David that wrote Psalm 119. That's what most people would believe to be the case because of what's being written about and described and how a lot of it fits to different points in David's life that we read about in First and Second Samuel and that we can read about in Kings. And so a lot of people believe it was David writing over the course of his lifetime the things that he was enduring and how God responded. From other psalms that David wrote, very similar wording and language that was used in other psalms where David is identified as the writer. Some of the same terminology that's used and some of the same perspective that's given, uh, even in regards to some of the verses that we're going to look at here in a second. But hardship and persecution magnify the necessity and productivity of God's word. Have you ever found yourself under severe hardship or persecution, God's word comes to your mind or from your heart in your mind, and it serves as a comfort, as a blessing, as a source of peace, as a source of encouragement. That's what God's word does. And so often in the midst of hardship and persecution, we see that magnified. And so in verse 147 again, he says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words, he says. He finds hope in God's words. 
Verse 148, it says that he, he looks through the watches of the night. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, or another translation may word it, through the watches of the night, he says. Uh, and I meditate on your promise. You get this perspective that his eyes are awake all through the night. He's not able to sleep. And in the midst of laying there, no matter what the hardship was or trouble was, what is he meditating on? Not his problems, but on God's promises. Isn't that interesting? How many of us lay awake at night and can't sleep because of our problems and not focused on God's promises or the promises of God's word? It's interesting because in Psalm 63, verses 1 through 6, this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness in Judah. And this is, again, an example of why a lot of people think David wrote Psalm 119. There's similar wording in one of these verses, but he says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's the perspective David has. He says, I am thirsting after you, God. I am longing for you. I'm seeking you as someone who is in the midst of a dry and weary land, a desert where there is no water. I mean, let that, have you ever been thirsty? Like where you're just parched? You know, if you're working outside, it's hot. If you're cutting, like in the heat, you're doing yard, and you're like, I got to get a drink of water. And like you just, it's one of those things where your mouth is like sticky. and It's like you can't even talk because you're so thirsty. He, he says, in the midst of a dry and weary land, I thirst after you as though thirsting for water. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Behold, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. I meditate on you in the watches of the night. In Psalm 119 Verse 148, he says, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promise. See the similarity there in the wording and and this perspective that the psalmist has? He's meditating on God's word, on God's promises on the Lord. Even in the midst of extreme hardship, persecutions, things that would cause us to lie awake at night because of the problems, he's trusting and focused on the promises of God. God's word is especially necessary and productive in the midst of hardship and persecutions. Verse 151 of the passage, he says, in the midst of all this, you are near. You are near. Look at this promise. He says, you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. This is right after he said, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. He's saying, listen, there are those that are persecuting me with evil intent. They are far removed from your law. They, they don't serve you, God. They don't love you, God. They're not obedient to you, God. They don't want anything to do with you. They want to destroy me. And he says, but you are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are true. So verse 155, salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. This is understanding that salvation is found in the Lord. It's revealed in his word. And seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Psalm 1, I'm sorry, verse 157. He says, many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. You see that? He says, many are my persecutors and my adversaries, 
but I do not swerve from your testimonies. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how severe the persecution is, I will not swerve from your testimonies. This immediately made me think of, uh, I've shared this before, of those Chinese church planners that have been imprisoned, beaten, some of them severely because of their testimony for Christ, that when we ask them how can we pray for you, every single 100% of them when we asked how we can pray for you said that God would give us boldness to continue to preach. Not for deliverance, not for an easy life, not for the persecution to cease, but that they would be bold in preaching the gospel. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Think of all that the psalmist has said to this point. He, he's crying out to God with his whole heart. He feels as though he's being attacked. Those that are persecuting him, his adversaries are many. But in the midst of this, he says, God, you are near. Your testimonies are true. I will not swerve from keeping them. It's amazing. It's amazing. How can he say all these things? He can say these things because foundational in his life is the belief that God's word is truth and God's word is eternal. And that the necessity and productivity of God's word is seen and even more magnified during these persecutions. And that's been consistently true of the church throughout history. The power of the word of God, the productivity of the word of God is so magnified and so true and seen in the midst of persecutions. The church has thrived in the midst of persecutions because God keeps his word. And number three, God's word has answers for life and gives life. Because I think this might be one of the things that we miss so much when it comes to God's word. We can tend to sometimes look at God's word as, yes, the word of God, yes, it is truth, and yes, there's a lot of great things in here. But a lot of times we can be guilty of reading God's word and think about it in a past tense. That God has done this, and that God has said this, and that God did do this, and that God did operate that way. And the people of God could benefit from this, not the people of God are benefiting from this, and God is doing this, and God is working, and God is faithful, and God is alive, and God is active. That his word is truth, it is powerful, it is life transforming. God's word has answers for life and gives life. Verse 146, he says, I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. Verse 148, again, my eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I meditate on your promise. Verse 154, plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Verse 156, great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Over and over and over again in this portion of Psalm 119, there's a direct correlation that the psalmist places upon the precepts, testimonies, rules of God that he is receiving, delighting in, and following, and his receiving life according to God's statutes, rules, promises, and testimonies. God's word has answers for life and gives life. God's word is that which revives us. God's word is that which sustains us. God's word is that which allows us to endure. Um, If you've ever been tired because you didn't get much sleep 
and you are just kind of dragging through the day and you take a break and you either eat something or drink a cup of coffee or whatever um, and it perks you up in the midst of just a tired state. That's the picture I think we receive from the psalmist here when it talks about God's word giving life. In the midst of all that the world brings that weighs us down or could weigh us down, God's word is that shot in our life of adrenaline to give life in the midst of chaos, darkness, and death. God's word is that which brings light to our eyes in the midst of darkness that we find ourselves walking amongst in the world. It's the word of God that has answers for life and gives life. Isn't it interesting that so often we can turn to so many different sources and turn to so many different options when we have to seek answers for hard things in life? And the last thing oftentimes that we'll go to is God's word. Um, I have been meeting with folks over these last several weeks with questions, a lot of questions about different scenarios they're walking through in life and relationships. And it's been such a pleasure to meet with people and to consistently be able to say, yeah, you know what? God's word has answers for that. Um, you know what? God talks about that in his word. You know what? That's a great question. And, and let me show you from God's word what God says about how we can handle some of these things. It is so refreshing to be able to do that. And we would probably all agree and be like, yes, God's word has answers. God's word has answers and God's word gives life. But how guilty are we when we're the ones that need to hear that and receive that of not opening it and reading it, but going to other things. Psalmist said, your word, Lord, gives me life. Your precepts, they give me life according to your steadfast love. And so God's word has answers for life. And gives life. So three quick points here. God's word is truth and it is eternal. Hardship and persecution magnify the necessity and productivity of God's word. And God's word has answers for life and gives life. So with that in mind, there's three questions for discussion at your tables. I'm going to give us a little bit of time tonight to look at these. Number one, when was the last time you cried out to God with your whole heart? That's what we see happening in this section of verses in Psalm 119. The psalmist is crying out to God with his whole heart. What were the circumstances surrounding that for you? The last time you cried out to God with your whole heart. Number two, in the presence of conflict and hardship, where do you turn to hear from God? I think that's an important question. In the midst of hardship, and maybe right now you're walking through hardships. Maybe right now you're, you're walking through some conflict and you're seeking answers. Where are you turning to hear from God? Be honest about that. Where are you going for your source of truth? And where are you turning as you're crying out to God and asking God to answer? Where do you turn to hear from God? Number three, what tends to give you life in the presence of turmoil and discouragement? Why? How so? So when you're discouraged, when you're feeling defeated, when you are in the midst of turmoil and and hardship, what tends to give you life? What tends to allow you to to find comfort or to be, um, you know, sustained in the midst of that? Where do you turn and what tends to give you life in the presence of these hardships? So take a few minutes at your tables, discuss that. If you can't get through all of them, that's fine. Uh, Just work through them one by one and uh, try to help each other out with this uh, and be honest with each other. And we'll wrap up in just a few minutes. All right, guys, let's, uh, let's talk through these questions just for a minute uh, as we wrap things up tonight. Um, that first question, when was the last time you cried out to God with your whole heart? What were the circumstances surrounding that? Um, good discussion at our table. 
a lot of times I think what we associate with crying out to God with our whole heart, we were talking about this, is when there's tragedy or when there's things that happen that we just feel like, man, we, we have nowhere else to turn, right? And, and so we're going to cry out to God because we have nowhere else to go. We have no other answers. So we're going to give it to the Lord. Um, but what's interesting about the psalmist in, in, in the verses we read tonight is, you remember he said, you are near, O God. You're near. And, and it makes me think of when we were first married, Shoshana and I, we were first married. We lived out in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And uh, we were about six hours from family. And so when we were first married, um, there were times as newlyweds where um, I would be standing next to show and my wife and she'd be on the phone with her dad and she'd be asking her dad a question about like how to fix something. And I'd hear it and I'd be like, what are you doing right now? And she'd hang up. I'd be like, why are you calling your dad to ha- ask how to do that? I, I'm right here. Like, I'd be like, what are you doing? You know, or there'd be times that, like, if I had to do something, I'd call my mom. I'd be like, hey, mom, how did you make it? And she would be looking at me like, are you calling your mom right now to find out how to do that when I'm standing right here? And it was one of those things where we had to, like, learn, right, as newlyweds that there might be some things that we don't have to necessarily call our parents to find out. We might be able to do that independent of them. And it was really helpful that we were six hours away because they weren't just like next door that we can go over and like ask every, everything to, right? Um, but here, here's why I share that. There were plenty of things that I would say that about, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I just wanted her to ask me anyhow because I was right there. Here's what's amazing about when we talk about when was the last time we poured our heart out to God. So many of our answers are when we were in the depths of despair and we had nowhere else to turn. But do we realize that the only time we turn to God does not need to be in those moments? Like, God is near, always with us. So you you don't have to wait until you're in the depths of despair to turn to God. You don't have to wait until there's things happening in your life that you're like, I have nowhere else to turn, nowhere else to go. God is present with you that you can call on, that you can turn to, that you can seek help from, that you can ask of. Um, And sometimes I think we can forget that. But I wanted you to share when that last time was because a lot of times we can forget about the faithfulness of God in the midst of the hardest of circumstances. And it's good to remember sometimes how faithful God is even in the midst of those hardships and how God has demonstrated his faithfulness. And the psalmist knew that. He, He recounted that. Um, and when in the midst of conflict and hardship, where do you turn to hear from God? Um, <clears throat> we didn't get to all these questions, but people turn to a lot of different positions and, and places to hear from God. The number one source for us to hear from God is going to be in His Word. That's where we are going to hear from God. Now, sometimes God uses people, right, when we're seeking answers or seeking wisdom. Uh, the Bible talks about how there is wisdom in the midst of multiple, multitude of counselors. And so we are to seek godly counsel and seek wisdom for answers. But when we want to hear from God, God is going to speak to us through his word, his eternal word. And so, um, again, we can be guilty of turning to God's word as a last resort instead of a first option. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who are like, I had nowhere else to go. And so I prayed and I started reading God's word and God really showed me in his word what I was supposed to do. And it's like, yeah, finally, like that's where we turn. And I'm thinking like, isn't it true that that should be our first spot that we go to is to the Lord and his word? And so often that's like the last resort of where we go to. And then we're surprised when God answers us or he gives us uh, an answer from his word. And we're like, God told me through his word. And it's like, yeah, that's what God does. 
Have you ever been sitting in a, a sermon on a Sunday or sitting in a, in, in a, a class where the, someone's teaching the word, and as they're teaching, you're thinking in my mind, like, they know. They know what happened this past week. It's like, how do they know? Like, I've been in situations where I hear people preaching, and I'm like, were they with me this week? And you're like, and I've had people come to me sometimes being like, it was like you were with me this week. And I'm like, no, I wasn't. I wasn't there. And, and, and yet God uses his word that way, doesn't he? And, and we're surprised when he does that. We shouldn't be. Because God speaks to us through his word. In the midst of conflict and hardship, turn to the Lord. Open up his word. Pray. Ask God to give answers and wisdom and open his word and read and, and ask him to show you what it is that you're seeking. Number three, what tends to give you life in the midst of turmoil and discouragement? Why, how so? Guys, I really want to encourage you that God's word is a source of life for us in the midst of hardship and turmoil. Psalmist said this multiple times in the passage before us tonight. Your words, your testimonies, your statutes, they give me life. They give me life. They give me life. If you're discouraged, read God's word. If you feel overwhelmed, pour it out to God and read and delight in his word. If you are confused, open up and read his word seeking answers. Let the word of God dwell in your heart and in your mind. It's where the psalmist said, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We've read already in this passage in Psalm 119 throughout this series, your word is my delight. It is my counselor. Your word is what sustains me and guides me and directs me. Your word is what sustains me. I mean, God's word is that which does exactly what he says it will do. And so we need to turn to God's word and elevate God's word in our lives. So um, I hope you're encouraged tonight with the presence of the Lord, with the presence of his word, and the faithfulness of God to his word. Um, this is just not another book. And really, for us to look at it and just kind of leave it sitting on the shelf or sitting on the table and not opening it up, knowing what it contains, is really foolish of us. Uh, and so let's be faithful uh, to the word of God, loving the word of God, obeying the word of God, and, and watch how God just fills our life with joy and hope and purpose uh, like we've never experienced before as we're obedient to his word. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thankful for this reminder that your word is truth, it is eternal. God, that your word has answers for us as we walk through this life. And your word is especially productive, God, in the midst of hardship and persecutions. The psalmist knew that. Uh, he could turn to you. He could trust in you and in your word. And so I pray that we would do that as well. Uh, Lord, that we would not look at uh, you as our last option, uh, God, but as the very first and wise option before us. When we seek you, we know we will find you. And we thank you for your word, that you speak to us through your word. I pray that we would diligently study your word, that we would open your word, Lord, and know that in it is truth and that we would be obedient to you. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.